Guys, I hope that you have your Bible and you will turn to Acts chapter 26. And I'm probably going to do something that uh, good preaching professors in seminary would tell a preacher not to do, and that is read an entire chapter of Scripture. But I want to read Acts chapter 26 in its entirety. And I want to ask you, I want to encourage you that uh, in the coming week that you would go back to Acts chapter 9 and read about Paul's conversion. Now, all of us know uh, that Paul was saved on the road to Damascus when the Lord appeared to him, and we're going to hear him give some testimony to that fact in Acts chapter 26. And in Acts chapter 9, uh, Paul is blinded after he comes to know the Lord, and God, the Lord Jesus, instructs Paul to go into Damascus and stay there, and someone will come and talk with him. Well, you see, God's got a plan, and I'm going to say that over and over again. God has a plan. God has a plan for my life, for your life. God has a plan for the life of this church. I believe that, and I pray that that plan is being lived out in my life, your life, the life of this church. But, folks, there's something that is so profound in Scripture. God has a plan. It is not an accidental plan. It is not something that is just a quirk of faith. It is an eternal plan that God has for us. And again, I can't emphasize that enough. God's got a plan for your life, my life, the life of this church. I've said that, what, three times now. You're going to hear me say it more and more. But listen, Paul goes into Damascus. He is blinded. He does not, he knows that he has met the resurrected Lord. He knows that Christ loves him now. He is a changed man, but he doesn't know what to do. You see, he's been persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. He's been killing people for their faith. And now, all of a sudden, his life has been radically changed. What should he do? And God sends a man named Ananias. And this is back in chapter 9. Just leave your Bible open to chapter uh, 26 because I'll read this again next Sunday. In chapter 9, um, the Lord says, I want you to go and lay your hands on, Anna, on Paul that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon thy name. This is verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, now listen to this. And God, in, in a capsule, gives his plan for Paul's life. Listen to this. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And folks, as you begin reading in Acts chapter 13, as Paul and the others begin their missionary journeys, you see that God's plan for Paul's life becomes reality. Not only would he carry the gospel to all the known world at that time, he would appear before the kings and before Gentiles and before his fellow Jews, but he would suffer for the name of Christ. But it was God's plan. It was God's plan. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you have a plan for each one of our lives. And, Lord, I pray that in these moments, in these weeks ahead, that, Lord, you would help us come to grips with the plan that you have for our lives as individuals, as a church. 
God, I pray that if there are those here that have not yet trusted your son as their savior, that they would realize that it is your plan that they be born again into the kingdom of God. And I pray for we who are Christians, Lord, perhaps some of us say, I don't know what God's plan is for my life. Lord, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would impress upon our hearts and minds the plan that you have for us, just as you did for Paul, just as you have for every born-again believer. And, Lord, I pray that as we study about this plan, we would understand, too, that you have a plan for this church. And may that plan be realized. And, Father, I pray that we would be willing to pay the cost, not financially, but, Lord, the cost of commitment, the cost of denying self and taking up our cross, the cost of struggling as a disciple, the cost of struggling as a church sometimes, the cost of uncertainty and fear. Oh God, may we be like Paul. May we search you out and seek you, knowing that as Jeremiah said, that when we seek you, you will be found. Father, I pray that you will speak. These will be your words and not mine. Father, bless us. And Lord, may this truly be time in which you're, you're honored and glorified, in which we worship you and be strengthened in our spiritual body. In Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 26. Follow with me in your Bible, okay? Let me again give you a little bit of background. Paul has already been on a number of missionary journeys. As this chapter opens, he is, in, he is imprisoned in Caesarea. He has already gone before the governor, governor of that region, uh, Festus. He has been persecuted. His fellow Jews are trying to kill him. And, and in essence, he's been protected by being put in prison. And then he has to appear before Agrippa, who is called king. Now, again, remember the Roman Empire had a lot of different leaders and people in charge. And so he, again, is a prisoner in Caesarea. But everywhere he goes, Paul bears witness of Jesus Christ. So listen to this. Verse 1, Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. Now, this is what Paul has been waiting for. He cannot wait for someone to tell him, what are you doing with your life? Why are you here? Why are you in prison? Why are people trying to kill you? Paul is excited that he can bear witness of who? Not Paul, not what he has done, but bear witness of Christ. And I love the way the Living Bible says that he begins to make a lot, of, a lot of motions with his hand. I think Paul got real animated, and he got real excited to be able to share the gospel, even knowing that this man Agrippa could have him sentenced to death. In verse 2 he says, I thank myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. And again, you see, the Jews, unless they did it in secret, did not have the authority to kill Paul. They wanted to get Paul off the scene just as they had killed the Lord and got him off the scene. They wanted to get Paul off the scene, but they did not have the authority on their own. They had to go through the Roman leader. Verse 3, because you are especially familiar with all customs and controversies of the Jews, therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, Paul's going to begin to describe his life. Verse 4, my manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and at Jerusalem, is well known by the Jews. Paul had been taught the scripture. You realize that? Paul had grown up in 
worshiping God in the temple, but he did not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And it burdens me and worries me that a lot of people are brought up in church, and this is not a criticism, but just an observation. A number of people are brought up in the church, but they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. How could they miss it? How could we miss it? And folks, I plead with you, if you've not met the resurrected living Lord, the only extent of your knowledge of God is simply from making time on Sundays to come to church, turn to Jesus and be born in his kingdom, and your life will be changed. Verse 5, they have known for a long time, but they're willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial. Listen to this. For hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. What was that hope? God had promised in the Old Testament that he was going to send a Messiah who would save the people from their sin. God had promised that he would send a suffering servant that who would not only take the iniquity and sins of others and die on the cross, but he would be raised again from the dead. And Paul says, this is the hope of my forefathers, verse 7, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? You see, one of the foundations of Paul's preaching was that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He died on the cross, was buried, rose again. Folks, that ought to be the message that we're telling the world. Whether they like it or receive it or not, that is the gospel. Amen. And we cannot and must not change it. Amen. Verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. Listen to what Paul says. He's going to mention five things that he did to the Christians in Jerusalem. I not only, number one, shut up many of the saints in prison by authority from the chief priests, but number two, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Remember when the first time we're introduced to Paul, he is witnessing the stoning of Stephen, one of the early deacons, and Paul was consenting to his death. Verse 11, and I punished, this is the third thing, I punished them often in the synagogues. Now listen to this. Christians, early Christians would come to the synagogues to worship, and that gave Paul an opportunity to punish them. Surely they knew that they were Christians because of their belief in Christ and their following Christ, and so Paul would punish them in the synagogue. And also, he said, tried to make them blaspheme. I remember years ago, and, and, and I'm being sincere in telling you this, when I was in college, Clint Eastwood movies were just the movie to watch. And I remember that, that there was a, a lone uh, chapel out in the desert, and there was a lone priest that was serving God there. And the, the, the bandits wanted this priest to disown his faith, and he wouldn't do it. And in the chapel, there was a big bell, and they, they made that priest stick his head up in that bell, and they chimed it. Now, this was in a movie, and I know that. And it hurt him so bad that he spit on his crucifix. And the bandits, bandits were pleased. And what I'm trying to say, Paul was doing everything he could, not only to persecute Christians, but make them deny and blaspheme God. 
And number five, he says, in enraging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And then he says in verse 12, thus I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. Listen to these verses, beginning with verse 13. Paul gives his testimony. Have you ever written your testimony down? And I know in witness training classes, you're encouraged to do that. Sit down and write down your testimony. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And so Paul is going to verbally express how he came to know the Lord. Verse 13, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, now listen to this, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul. Listen, God always speaks our language. When he is trying to get our attention, he speaks to us where we are, how we can understand, and he calls us by name. And Paul was called by name. Why do you persecute me? It hurts you to kick against the goads. And that's basically like the, the, the things that you kick a mule and, and hurt yourself in doing it. Paul is, uh, God, Jesus is saying to Paul, you've literally hurt yourself, Paul. You haven't hurt me. Verse 15, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus who, whom you are persecuting. Folks, listen, Paul found out in those moments that Jesus was not dead. He was alive. And that's one of the greatest truths about our Lord. He's not an ancient story. He's not a mythological hero. He's not a superhero. He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And he is alive. And this is what Jesus tells Paul beginning in verse 16. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. I love it. Jesus is saying, listen, Paul, I got a plan for your life. You had your own plan, but let me tell you my plan. And folks, that's a point that all of us need to come to. If you're living by your plan as a person who's not yet received Christ as Savior, Jesus warned over and over again that plan is a dead-end street and it's going to lead to destruction. And my dear Christian friend, if, if even as a born-again believer, we're living life by our, our plan, you know what we're missing out on? The joy of serving the living Lord. And I truly believe, and I'm saying this about myself, I truly believe that when we look at Jesus, we're going to say, Lord, I wish I'd have done more for you. I really believe that. I think that we're going to bow in his presence and say, Lord, if I had only known that you love me this much, that heaven is going to be so great, that spending eternity with you in heaven rather than dying in hell is so great, we'll wish we had done more. For this purpose, to appoint you to serve and bear witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I send you. The Lord let Paul know, I'm going to send you in harm's way, but guess what? I'm going to be by your side. As you read earlier, and I was looking back in my Bible, one of my favorite uh, verses is back in chapter 23. Just let me read this to you, verse 11. Uh, they're trying to kill Paul, his own brothers in the Jewish faith. And it says in chapter 23, verse 11, The following night the Lord stood by Paul and said, Take courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness to me in Rome. The Lord stood by Paul. I believe that when you and I stand up for him, he stands up for us. 
And Paul, tradition has it that he was beheaded in Rome for preaching the gospel. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what he says in Philippians. Paul knew that that resurrected Lord that met with him on the road to Damascus, that resurrected Lord that met with him that night in prison and stood by him and said, I'm going to see you through this, Paul. Folks, I don't think any of us are going to be persecuted or put in prison or even put to death for our faith. But our Lord Jesus is going to stand by us, whatever he calls us to do. His plan will be one in which he'll use us, but he'll stand with us. And beginning in verse 18, the Lord gives Paul these instructions about what he's going to do. Listen to these. Just like Paul had done five things against the Lord, here's five things the Lord wants him to do in verse 18. To open their eyes, number one. Number two, that they may turn from darkness to light. Number three, from the power of Satan to God. Let's stop there for just a second. When we are witnessing to someone, we're not trying to save them ourselves because we can't. We're not trying to make their life miserable because, you see, if we tell them about Christ, we're trying to see that they're saved from the power of Satan and saved by the power of God. Do you not understand that? And we need to understand that there's a heaven and there's a hell. And when we we reject Jesus Christ as our Savior, our eternal destination is hell of our own choosing, not his. God desires that all would be saved. Number four, that they may receive forgiveness of sin. And number five, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Whereby, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those at Damascus, then at Jerusalem and throughout all the country of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and perform deeds worthy of their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. They're going to kill Paul because of his witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ to this day. I've had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. And I want to point something out. Never, ever discredit the Old Testament or think that it is not important. Paul only had the Old Testament as he preached. But he says that the prophets and Moses bear witness that the Savior would come, that he would listen to this, verse 23, that the Christ must suffer and that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to the people and to the Gentiles. As he thus made his defense, verse 24, Festus. Now, this is the governor. Paul has been talking to Agrippa, the king. Festus said with a loud voice, And again, I don't want to hurt your ears. I think Festus yelled this out. Paul, you're mad. Your great learning is turning you mad. You know what they're saying? Paul, you're an idiot. I believe that's what they're trying to say. They're trying to shut Paul up. And listen to what he says in verse 25. But Paul said, I am not mad, most excellent Festus. He's being nice and courteous. But I am speaking the sober truth. 
For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this was not done in a corner. And listen to this, verse 27. Paul is an evangelist, and he says to King Agrippa, Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And here's Agrippa's response to Paul. I love the way the King James translates it. Almost thou persuadeth me to be a Christian. The Revised Standard says, In a short time you think to make me a Christian. And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I, except for these chains. Again, remember, Paul's in chains. He's been in the prison there in Caesarea. And even as he is standing before Agrippa, apparently they have him in shackles. Then the king rose and the governor. The king, of course, is Agrippa. The governor is Festus and Bernice, who is Agrippa's wife, and those who were sitting with him. And when they were drawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or punishment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man would have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Now, why did I read all of that? Because, folks, I want you to understand, God's got a plan. God had a plan for Paul. God's got a plan for us. And, and the first statement I've got in my notes, and I'm going to read it to you, I can truthfully say this morning I don't know where to begin. And I really don't. How do you talk about the plan of the eternal almighty God for each one of us in this church? If you're not a Christian here today, God's plan is that you would know his son as your personal savior. That's God's plan. He is desirous that none should perish, but all should reach repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And he has a plan for every one of us as Christians. And folks, the reason that I read this story and felt compelled to read all that chapter, not only do I love reading about the life of Paul because it reminds me and inspires me and assures me that God has a plan for my life, your life, and the life of this church. And folks, I am not comparing myself to Paul, but one of the great truths of Paul's life is that God had a plan for Paul and Paul's life and Paul's ministry. And one of the most important truths as your pastor that I can share with you, every single one of you, and with our church is that God's got a plan for each one of the, us. And I'll be the first one to say that that plan for us is not often easily discerned or quickly understood. And let me give you an example of this. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is preaching in Samaria and a revival has broken out. Sick are being healed, demons are being cast out, people are responding to the gospel and the Spirit of God says, Philip, I want you to leave this place and go down to the road toward Gaza that is a desert road. You know this story well, I'm sure. Philip does not argue. If the Spirit of God is moving him in that direction, he knows he must do it. And you remember what happened? As he is out on that lonely desert road, here comes a chariot. And an Ethiopian eunuch has been to Jerusalem to worship, searching for a relationship with God, but is left empty-hearted. And he's reading out of the prophet Isaiah chapter 53 that prophesies that the Savior would come and die and take upon himself our sins and iniquities. And as he goes by Philip, he stops and he, and he asks 
Philip to come up and join him. And he says, whom is the prophet speaking about? You see, he left the religious capital of the world, Jerusalem, and he was empty-hearted, no savior. And Paul, as Luke tells us, begins there and tells him about Jesus. Philip didn't understand why God's plan was to leave Samaria and to go to the desert, but God knew what he was doing all the time. Listen, that Ethiopian eunuch trusted Christ as his Savior, was baptized there on the spot, and went back to Ethiopia. And tradition has it that through his testimony that a great church got started in Ethiopia. God had a plan. Now, what in the world does that have to do with each one of us? God's got a plan for us. It's often hard to follow because it's hard to surrender to the plan of God, isn't it? Let's be honest. I'm asking you to allow me to preach and share about God's plan for you and me and our church for a number of Sundays. Would you pray that God would speak to each of us individually and also as a church? And let me again sum up what I'm trying to say this morning. Why should we pray that God would speak concerning his plan for us? Number one, and this is a, a great burden I have, for those yet to trust Christ as their Savior, that's God's plan that you be saved. And I'm not preaching that to you. I'm sharing it with you. Without Christ, you're lost in sin. Without Christ, you don't have a Savior. Without Christ, there is no hope. Without Christ, you can't have the right relationship with God, but in Jesus Christ, your sins can be removed. You can be given the right relationship with God. You can be promised that death, sin, Satan, and hell will not conquer you because you have been liberated by Jesus Christ. And it is God's plan that you be saved. And folks, I worry about something, and I've shared this with you before. I want to share it with you again. It worries me that I would stand in this pulpit over the years and you not hear the gospel. When I stand before the Savior, I hope he's not going to say, Herbert, there's some people that came to the church regularly, but they're not going to be here because you didn't impress upon them their need to be saved. Folks, that's not my plan. That's God's plan that you be saved. Don't substitute coming to church. Don't substitute being raised in a Christian home for making your own personal decision to repent of sin, to trust in Christ, and be born into his kingdom. That's God's plan for your life. And my Christian brother and sister, as a person who has believed in God, God has a plan after our conversion experience that includes living for and serving Jesus until we die or until he comes again. And God has convicted my heart in recent weeks. I know that I'm getting closer to the age of 66 and can retire. And I'm not talking about retiring completely from ministry. I don't mean that. But folks, what I'm starting to pray for, God, what is your plan for my life until I die, not until I retire? It's not too early to begin serving the Lord, and it is not too late. 
And if some of you are saying, well, I'm a certain age and, and I've just kind of stood on the sideline and I've, I've sit in the bleachers, guess what? He's calling you to the field. Get on the team. Get busy. Every single one of us, God's got a plan. I don't know how old Paul was when he trusted Christ. Folks, you, you know, I think about it, and I'm not trying to extend this sermon, I promise you. I, I just, I'm full of it. Well, that's, uh, better be careful. That, that's not what I meant. Um, it worries me that, that God's plan will not be done in our life. And folks, think about this for just a second. The sphere of influence that you have, God has placed you in the middle of somebody's life to lead them to Christ, be an example, point them. Do you think it's an accident that Paul got before Festus and King Agrippa and Bernice? I don't think so. That was God's plan. Go back to Acts chapter 9. Wherever God is placing us on a day-to-day basis, that is our mission field. That is our, our sphere of influence in sharing the, the Christ with others. And I'm going to close in saying this. God's got a plan for our church and every church. I believe people are beginning to feel that their church is going to die. Let me tell you, the church of Jesus Christ will not die because it is founded upon the rock. Amen. And even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If our church is empowered by the Holy Spirit, if we are preaching the gospel of Christ if we are strengthening and equipping believers, if we are loving a lost world, if we are ministering to others in the name of Jesus, God's church is going to flourish and grow because God's got a plan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll take your word and the testimony of the Apostle Paul and you'll speak to our hearts. Father, I cannot save anyone because no one could save me except the Lord Jesus Christ. But I pray in these moments, Father, that if your spirit is speaking to the hearts of those that do not know you as Savior, Lord, may they lay aside everything that would hinder them from trusting you, from turning from sin, from believing that you are the Savior, the Son of God, that you came from heaven to this earth and lived and died on the cross and was buried but was raised on the third day and ascended back into heaven and you're coming again. And even right now, you're speaking to this person's heart. I pray that they'll turn to you and be saved. And Father, pray for each of us as believers. God, our lives are passing by so quickly. But, Father, help us that we will let your plan be the plan for our lives. Forgive us when we've taken control. And, Lord, help us to get in the back seat and let you drive. And, Lord, help us to let you be in control. And for this church, God, we're not building a name for ourselves, but, Lord, I pray we're building a name for you. And, Lord, help us to minister to others in Jesus' name so that they'll too come to know the Christ and the Savior that we know. Have your way and your will in these moments of the invitation, for we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn this morning is number 433, I Surrender All. And folks, that's the question today. Paul surrendered all to the Lord Jesus Christ.
And I believe that's why God could use him so much. Are we surrendered? Do you need to surrender your heart to Jesus for the first time and trust him as your Savior? My Christian brothers and sisters, do we need to surrender ourselves afresh and anew to the Lord Jesus Christ? And in surrendering ourselves, surrendering this church to him. God's got a plan. Let's surrender to it. Let's stand as we sing.